0: fast cars flashy clothes big money heavy players and the hot miami scene
1: these were the main ingredients that made miami vice one of the most innovative shows of the 1980s journey with tim and mark as we take a peek into the drama series with an mtv feel on the vice of miami podcast
0: Hello and welcome back everybody to episode three of the Vice of Miami podcast. Tim and I are glad you're joining us today. This is Mark.
1: And this is Tim.
0: And we hope you enjoyed our last episode where we reviewed the pilot episode of Miami Vice called Brothers Keeper. That's where we met the principal players in the world of Miami Vice. Today's episode will cover Miami Vice episode two, Heart of Darkness. Well, Tim, what do you say we get on with the show?
1: Yeah, let's do that, Mark. This particular episode was written by A.J. Edison, directed by John Llewellyn Moxie, and the original air date was September 28th, 1984.
0: And let's cover the plot summary for this episode. Investigating a porn baron named Sam Kovics, Crockett and Tubbs become involved with an undercover FBI agent and Artie Lawson, who may have gone native and become a criminal and he may have murdered an underage porn starlet. Meanwhile, Zito and Swiatek pose as fences, and Elvis the Crocodile feels unloved. Tubbs is also getting used to Southern law enforcement and Florida life.
1: Now it's time to highlight the guest stars of the show. In later podcast episodes, we will focus on the stars and co-stars individually. First up is Ed O'Neill as FBI agent Arthur Lawson, also known as Artie Rollins, an American actor born in 1946 who went into acting after being signed by the Pittsburgh Steelers in 1969 but failed to meet the team. He began his acting career with a performance in the stage production of Mice and Men at the American Repertory Theater in Cambridge, Massachusetts. He made his film debut in 1972's Deliverance and then went on to play cop-type roles in the 1980s. After his Miami Vice appearance, Ed went on to play one of his most iconic roles as Al Bundy in Married with Children, as well as the role of Joe Friday in a reboot of Dragnet. His most recent long-standing role was that of Jay Pritchett in Modern Family. Ed has been married to Catherine Russoff since 1986, and they have two daughters. Ed also holds a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu.
0: And next up, we have Paul Hecht as porn distributor Sam Kovics. An English-Canadian actor born in 1941 in London, Paul graduated from the National Theatre School in Canada. His 1968 performance in Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, are dead, earned him a Tony nomination. Other stage performances included 1776, Caesar and Cleopatra, and Enrico the Fourth, for which he won an Obie Award. He was a regular radio voice actor on CBS Radio Mystery Theater as well. He made his television acting debut in 1970 on the Hallmark Hall of Fame. He appeared in several 1970s TV movies, including Pueblo and the Savage Bees. After Miami Vice, he had recurring roles in Law and & Order and Kate and & Ellie as Dr. Charles Lowell. He is currently in demand for his voice talents on audiobooks. He has been married to Peggy Eisenhower since 2002. He is past president of the New York chapter of the Screen Actors Guild, having served from 1991 to 1995.
1: And finally, we have Cheryl Giannini as Mrs. Artie Rollins' Arthur Lawson. She's an American actress born in 1948 whose first TV appearance was with Paul Hecht in a 1983 ABC weekend special. Her first movie appearance was with Jacqueline Brooks in 1983's Without a Trace. After Mommy Vice, other credits to her name were a 1990 episode of Law & Order with Jimmy Smith's Law & Order in 1991 and 1993, which was her most recent TV appearance, and I'm Not Rappaport in 1996 as her most recent movie appearance. Cheryl's active years of acting were from 1983 to 1996.
0: Actually, Tim, I'm going to squeeze one more finally. And finally, this episode places Olivia Brown as Metro Day Detective Trudy Joplin as a regular cast member rather than a guest star as in Episode 1. Okay, this is the part of the show where we do the goofs, fun facts, and locations. Tim, you want to take it away for the first one?
1: Sure can, Mark. The location of 1000 Venetian Way is where Artie had a condo. Condos there now start at three quarters of a million dollars.
0: During the last chase, before the bridge jump, they passed Tropical Chevy at 8880 Biscayne Boulevard. This dealership is still there today.
1: When Crockett and Tubbs get picked up in the limo by Artie and Kovacs, the location was 63rd and Biscayne at an empty car lot. There's a cafe, medical center, and condos and offices there today.
0: Next, when Crockett and Tubbs first meet Artie and Kovacs, it's at La Careta at 3632 Southwest 8th Street in Miami along the famed Calle Ocho. It is still there. You can't miss the giant rooster and wagon wheel. Stop in for an empanada and a cafecito, okay?
1: When the limo jumps the bridge, two hubcaps fall off. They mysteriously reappear at the dock.
0: St. Vitas Dance is docked at what's now Bayside Marketplace. It's a dining and shopping area right next to the marina.
1: This episode marks the first appearance of Julio Oscar Mechoso as Lester Costco, a Metrodate electronics expert who helps the team with their surveillance tech. Costco would go on to appear in five further Season 1 episodes before the character was phased out in favor of having White and Zito handle all the unit surveillance.
0: Okay, Tim, just to run down some of the music highlighted in this episode... Uh, we have She's a Beauty from The Tubes, uh, Missing You from John Waite, Going Under from Devo, and Masquerade by George Benson. Uh, I've only heard of the first two, She's a Beauty and Missing You. The others I really haven't heard of, but I do remember them in this episode.
1: Yeah, exactly. And when we get in towards the end of the our discussion here, that Masquerade song... You know, I remember hearing and listening closely to the lyrics, and it really kind of fit with the theme of this show as far as going down under dark in the undercover world. And as Crockett said in episode one, sometimes I remember who I am. Uh, it's still kind of playing, we're kind of building on that type of thing that this undercover work of the Miami Vice world can wreak havoc on one's personal and real identity.
0: Okay, now on to the trivia. And as you remember last episode, the answer to last show's trivia question, when Crockett goes to the diner to tell Rivera's wife he's dead, there's some beer on the menu. What beers are offered and what prices are they? Here we go. The answer, it's Stroh's, Coors, Bush, Budweiser, Schlitz, Miller Lite and Old Milwaukee, all for a dollar. And Miclobe and Miclobe Light for a dollar ten. And let's go for this week's trivia question. What albums of Crockett's does Elvis chew up? You remember towards the end, Elvis was a little bit feeling unloved, unwanted. And he made a ransack mess of the dock. And then later on, he made a ransack mess of the boat. What albums did he chew up? You can post your answers on this episode's Facebook post, or you can email us at viceofmiamishow at gmail.com. We will air some of the answers. This is for fun, no prizes. Okay,
1: Mark, let's talk about the ratings, and this is where we can give our thumbs up or thumbs down for this particular episode. I give it a strong thumbs up because there's a lot going on in here as far as the trying-to-decide What side of the fence that Artie Rollins, a.k.a. Artie Lawson, stood on? A little bit of comedic relief with the Zito and Switek fencing operation, which both of these were intertwined.
0: Yeah, I I agree with you 100% on this one, Tim. I give it a thumbs up. Uh, Coming off of the long first episode of Meeting Everybody, this is where they kind of get into getting down to work, especially with Tubbs on board now. So I give it a strong thumbs up. Um ratinggraph.com gives it a 8.2. And IMDB gives this an 8.2 as well. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, it pretty much just covers the whole season. That was an 8.2 as well, uh, just like we noted last episode. And getting on with the discussion for this episode of Heart of Darkness. Tim, we have Crockett and Tubbs. They're posing as New Jersey porn theater owners. And they pretty much want a steady supply of products. Um, they're meeting with some guy called Jimmy, I think, to meet with uh, Kovacs, who essentially everybody has to go through Artie first.
1: Jimmy was really the kind of like the middle man or really a, a facilitator. Artie was the middle man. And then obviously the big porn boss was uh, Kovacs. At that very beginning of the show when it panned in, you know, you see this chick doing aerobics. And as they start expanding or enlarging that scene, it turns out that she was actually filming a porn movie, you know, with the typical cheesy thing like, oh, you need she calls for some help for something. And
0: right air conditioning repair or something. What's that? Air conditioning repair, I think it was was it how much more corny can you get,
1: yeah, exactly, How much corny can you get with that? you know, but it was the typical scene, and then, as they panned out and enlarged it even more, now you see Crockett and tubs there on the set, originally, when I first saw it, I wasn't sure if whether or not this was something real for them or it was undercover, but it quickly. You find out that they were undercover with their alter egos, uh, probably Sonny Burnett, even though they didn't say it. It was Sonny and uh, Richard, I believe, is how they uh, introduced themselves.
0: Right, right. And then everybody, uh, well, I'm jumping ahead there. They kind of, Crockett and Tubbs kind of get the ball rolling with Jimmy here on getting to meet Kovacs and then finding out they had to go through Artie. Once that starts unfolding, pretty much the whole scene here gets busted. The hammer comes down on them, so to speak, I guess you could say. Uh, Everyone gets busted. Um, And then fast forwarding a little bit, pretty much everybody gets bailed out.
1: Right. And as we later learn from uh, Lieutenant Rodriguez, this fake bust was set up just for them to establish credibility with jimmy and not only that later on artie and sam kovacs
0: exactly and what uh, what i kind of drew out of this at least this first few scenes here is that artie seems to be uh the big man rather than kovacs at least that's what focus kind of pointed on
1: right because that's what jimmy kept on saying everybody's got to go through artie everybody's got to go through artie and then as you know after they cued that opening credits after the bust You know, they came back, and now you find Crockett and Tubbs in a car with Jimmy after, I believe, Artie was the one that bailed them out. They want to go see uh, Sam Kovacs, but as Jimmy kept on stressing, Artie is the go-between, so you got to go through him.
0: All the while, all the while, Artie was actually driving a car. We didn't know that. You know, the face was never shown. He didn't really talk a lot. It ended up actually being Artie.
1: Why is it up in Jersey? Our people are telling us... The man to see is Sam Kovic for porno down here.
0: But after a week of trying to set it up, all we hear is Artie. Artie wants this. Artie says that. Well, it's very simple. If you want to do business with Sam, you got to go through Artie first. What is Artie? Is he Sam's new partner or something? Yeah, well, yeah. Something like that. Who was driving the car. Right, remember if
1: he did, uh, he did all that evasive moves because they felt that somebody was tailing him.
0: Right, the feds were doing their usual classic stand-up job of hiding and following somebody. Artie was on to them, did his evasive moves, did a couple uh, of spin-outs, lost the feds, and then dropped off Crockett and Tubbs and said, we'll have to meet later. It's kind of too hot of an area now with the feds following them. So uh, he pretty much just drops them off. Jimmy says, you just met Artie. He was the one that was driving.
1: Yep, he was the one that was driving. I mean as you you develop you knew that it was Ed O'Neill's voice in there but until his character actually unfolded you saw him actually if we'll call it up close and personal
0: once i played this back all i can th- hear in my head is oh jeez peg the feds are following me <laughs> yeah i'm sorry he's he's al bundy to me i know him more for al bundy so i picture him selling shoes
1: right and and really this was He was, even though he was in Deliverance, he was, to the TV world, he was a relatively unknown, and this was probably one of those breakout roles for him, you know, to be one of the main guest stars in a, what became a successful run of a show.
0: Right, right. And, you know, in this episode, he plays a hard ass, you know, take no BS, uh, especially later on, you know, when we get to it in a few minutes here, you know, he starts beating down on one of the guys that... Kind of screwed up a little bit, but he established himself as a hard ass here rather than the L Bundy that we would know.
1: Right, that that he's kind of like that bumbling character on uh, Mary with Children.
0: Moving forward, we find uh, uh, we're at Mammy Vice Office OCB doing the usual paperwork type of stuff, and then this is where uh, a couple of Feds come in. They go into Mammy Vice and pretty much they say to Crockett and Tubbs that they're also on the Kovics and they ask about Artie. And then I remember
1: that. Tubbs denied anything about this Audi Rollins or saying, you know, we don't know who that is.
0: Right. I think I think when he did that, he you know, I think he was already keen on to these guys being the feds. Maybe Crockett and Tubbs wanted to get this bust themselves. So he was kind of cutting them off at the pass, so to speak. Right. What do you think about
1: that? And, and the, bureau, you know, the Bureau, the FBI, the feds, they wanted to – continue build their case, but they wanted to work with the OCB. And then basically Crockett tells them, and this is just paraphrasing it, you show us yours, we'll show you ours. You know, he wasn't going to have anything to play with that. And like you said, both him and Tubbs, they want to make the bust themselves. They don't want to deal with the feds. And a lot of times when you have a show that focuses on local law enforcement, they're always, it just seems like from series to series and in, in, in cop shows, Nobody really wants to work with the Feds,
0: right? Exactly. Especially something as tight as Miami Vice, you know, in the OCB, you know, they're the ones pretty much hammering all the work out here, you know, in, in all they do. What benefit do they see working the Feds? Who knows? If you're a policeman, if you're in Vice, if you're a Fed, and you listen to us, drop us, drop us a line. Tell us how you think about that. And then further in this scene, moving along, they find out you know she was a runaway. Rodriguez comes in to say that. She was sprung, but um, she was found dead in a pool. Um, Obviously, they're thinking, you know, worst case scenario, this is another 14, 15, 16-year-old off the bus from Kansas or whatever. I think she was. Yes, that's correct. Now she's dead. So this really kind of amps up the game. They want to go after uh, Kovacs now. They don't want to putz around. This kid's already dead. There'll probably be more. So let's get them now.
1: Right. And then, you know, once they find out, then the scene quickly shifts to uh, Crockett and Tubbs going out to the murder scene. And that's where they start theorizing that she was killed by Kovacs just to shut her down. There was like a party of drugs that was found at the scene. And as you said, she was a 16-year-old runaway from uh, Kansas.
0: Didn't they bring the parents? Yeah, they brought their parents in to see uh, what information they could get from her. And I guess she wanted to be a model or something like that. So she came out to Miami and then ended up floating in a pool.
1: Exactly. And there was at one point that uh, Crockett had asked Trudy to look into this Artie Rollins to find a little bit more. And as it developed in the storyline, then Trudy tells Crockett that she came up blank on Rollins and any of the records she accessed until she was able to get into Government records and finds out that Rounds is actually a Fed with whose real name that we learn is Arthur Lawson.
0: They didn't think maybe he would have been part of this murder um, until later. You know, as far as thoughts running through their head, once they find out, they were kind of—I uh, would have to assume—in their mind that all right, we got to play ourselves cool around this guy, kind of play the part as well. They go to uh, the La Carita they have dinner, and they finally meet Kovacs with Artie. And this is where kind of things turn, I don't know, I don't want to say south or, or turn bad, but this is where Artie, who is a Fed, got to prove to Crockett and Tubbs that he could, uh, he could kick butt and take names. So when, you know, w- within the process of the dinner, let's go outside, let's discuss business. This guy comes up with a briefcase full of cash. Obviously, he did something wrong to Artie, or on Artie's end, you know, didn't like it or whatever. And then Artie starts, you know, cracking him upside the head with his briefcase and really going to town on him.
1: It's oh! not oh, my fault. I'm kicking oh. the hell out of you oh, either,
0: right? Pull out. He's going to kill him. Don't you ever interfere with me again. All the while, Kraken Tubbs knowing who Artie is, okay, how far are they going to let him go? couple cracks upside the head, it's good to just let him go and establish themselves as bad guys as well. Not until Artie really starts going to town on this guy, beating him when he's down, they pull him off. Uh, They pull Artie off of this guy, you know, because uh, there's that fine line of presenting yourself as a bad guy as well and then not, you know, wanting to kill somebody basically. And a scene like this will come up later in a few other episodes as well, but we'll get to that when we get to there. But Crockett and Tubbs want to establish themselves to Artie as a bad guy as well, so they're going to let him pawn him a little bit, but then ultimately end up stopping him. And then, you know, what's the line that um, what's the line that Artie says to him? I just remember
1: in that scene, where he's beating him and they pull him off. He went ballistic and said, "Don't you ever." ever get you know right. get in between him and the business he was conducting even though it wasn't said exactly like that so exactly exactly y-
0: and what what i'm thinking and well um as far as Artie, and then going back into episode one along those uh keywords of lies deception deceit you know i'm probably betting 100 here that crock and Tubbs are thinking this is just another cop you know who's Lying and deceiving fellow feds. Just another cop in the mix, lying and deceiving everybody.
1: And if you remember, that was more Tubbs that was on that particular angle. And I'm going to call this like another subplot within the main plot of this story. Tubbs was trying to see him that, you know, he didn't trust Artie Rollins Lawson from the get go, but Crockett was more defensive of him. And I think Tubbs was, you know, trying to tell Crockett, hey, you know what, you've been down, you've been down in deep cover for too long. You're not actually seeing the force from the trees here. We ha- we have to start looking at this a little bit more objectively. But all the while, Crockett always was a champion for Artie Rowlands' calls, saying that, you know, no, there's gotta be more here than he didn't really believe that he did the killing. The man is on the edge, and that makes it dangerous as hell. Maybe he had to go that far to make it happen. Well, maybe he decided he likes it out there. Look, what the hell are you defending this guy for, Sonny? What is this? Uh, You two? Hey, 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 man, look, I'm just asking. Because I know how it is when you're living the role month in and month out, because I've been where he is, in deep. All right, look, if we bring him in now, the entire Kovic's investigation goes down the tubes. Can you honestly tell me that Artie Lawson hasn't gone over to the other side? No. Well, then, damn it, find out. And if you remember also that... At some point, because they were hitting a little bit of a dead end, Lou went to the feds to talk to them about Lawson, and all he got was a runaround. So he told them, hey, go see Switek because he's got a inside guy at the feds uh, and see what right. he's going to give them. So then they right. went and we will come back to their fencing operation, but they go there to talk to him, and he doesn't want to give that deep throat in the feds up because that could be a big career break for him. But then basically exactly. Crockett it's a golden
0: ticket kind of
1: right there. Golden ticket to, you know, bigger and better things. And Crockett basically blackballs him about a car that he wrecked that he's going to leak it <laughs> right. and let everybody know about it. And that's when Switek uh, like, okay. gave, gave him uh, the contact information. And right. I believe the guy's name was, he's a fed by the name of Claiborne. And, you know, he told Crockett and Tubbs about Lawson that he was really a company man. He was undercover for about eight months. He said he's a good man, but six weeks, you know, ago, he disappeared. He cut off contact with him. No No reports. He moved out. And then, you know, Crockett and Tubbs found him really by accident when they, you know, did that meet with, when, Artie was driving around, you know, it's kind of like by accident. That's what the Fed said. Claiborne said that the FBI really believed that Lawson may have gone over to the other side.
0: I believe it was in the scene still in OCB when they found out that girl died. Crockett mentioned something along the lines of, you know, how long uh, he knows how uh, he's living the role month by month. He's been where he is in deep. Uh, And like I said, we'll see this, uh, see this. In Crockett in a future episode but Crockett knows or eventually will know you know getting so deep into something you don't know which way is up I think you said that our last show Tim you know you're so deep into this stuff you're so into whatever you're trying to get these guys on you don't know if you're a bad guy or a good guy Crockett is all well too aware of that seeing it in Artie. Yeah,
1: exactly. And if you remember from the first episode where him and Gene are on a boat, he said, darling, sometimes I remember who I am. So it's just that whole deep cover, you know, because they're new to really new in their relationship. Tubbs, you know, he has major concerns about Crockett. He's seen himself in this Artie. Tubbs feels he's just not being objective enough about it.
0: And this is kind of where um, after these next few scenes here is where Crockett and Tubbs pretty much kick everything into high gear. They find out through Rodriguez that Kovacs is shutting down the operation. And he's moving to Mexico. Things get the high gear. This is where they got to start, you know, okay, let, let's, let's get the cash. Let's meet with Artie. Let's meet with Kovacs. Let's get this deal done.
1: Exactly. Yep. And they, you know, they're getting the money and I remember Crockett having a hard time, you know. He put in a requisition for two hundred thousand dollars. He's on the phone. It's like kind of background conversation to something else at the OCB. Finally, they get that money that they need. You know, then they were going to go make the meet. And you know, it's the flash the cash. You know, give us give us the goods, and then we'll give you the rest of the money type of thing too.
0: Exactly. And and when you mention that, this is something we'll see reoccurring in other episodes as well as the. The departmental BS that goes on in trying to do their job—you know—they need what two hundred thousand dollars here. And back in the eighties, that's a lot of cash. I mean, it's a lot of money now, but back then it was more so just giving up that money so they could flash it to Artie and Kovacs or whatever. They're—they're going to find out again in the in future episodes. That's—it's this is going to be the run of the show. Things don't go quite as how easily they want them to go.
1: Right. And also uh, in that same scene, you had uh, Lou Rodriguez. He's concerned that Lawson is on the edge. You know, Crockett again defends his actions as being part of being deep undercover. He, then Lou asks him, hey, son, do you think he's gone over to the other, other side? And Crockett, you know, had his, has his doubts.
0: Right, so, right. This this is where I took note. You know, Crockett sort of sympathizes with Artie in being so deep and he. And he says, you don't know which way or which end, you don't know which end is up. That's what it is. You don't know which end is up.
1: Then they're trying to get a little bit more background on Artie Lawson. So they go and meet with his wife and she tells him, I haven't heard from him in three weeks. You know, and she said he sounded different, confused. He was frustrated. She, he voiced her that, you know, several times he asked to be, brought out of this undercover work that he was doing, but was denied by the Bureau. And then at the end of that scene, she was begging Crockett and Tubbs to bring him back.
0: Right. This is where finally they end up going to Artie's apartment, wanting to you know get the stuff in a high gear. And this is where Artie does his background checks too, and finds out who they are rather than just a couple of high rolling cowboys from Jersey. Is that right? Detectives. You know, he oh yeah, out. he
1: was he was pissed off that they were interfering in his operation for sure.
0: He's on to something here. He's on a he's he, he's on. I forgot what exactly. I'm on a mission or something like that. But yeah, Artie was really uh, PO'd that they were trying to not necessarily muscle in, but they kind of caught on to him, I guess. Being on that thin line of is he crossing over? I'm sure this is where Artie was having self doubts on himself, and then. Find some tickets to Mexico as well, plane tickets to Mexico as well. Yeah, this is where the crux of the episode kind of turns. I don't want to say for a bad way, but Artie gets called out. He gets caught in uh, in his mind, you know, what am I doing here? Right. But he tells, Am I bad?
1: Right. And then he tells Crockett and Tubbs, Don't question his methods. He says he's got Kovacs already on. Kitty porn, prostitution, and seven murders. And then Crockett says, hey, how come you didn't take him down? And he says, because he wants him to go down hard. We were again in the wonder. Maybe you changed your mind. Well, why would I want to change my mind? Am I dealing with something here that I can't handle? I mean, you two are just a couple of high rolling cowboys from Jersey with a briefcase full of cash. Isn't that right, detectives? I'm on an investigation here. Hey, 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 hey. hey, hey, hey. Are you sure about that? What is that supposed to mean? That means you haven't checked with the bureau in over three weeks or your wife. You move out of the apartment they set you up in, and your own people can't even find you. Artie, I think you've gone over. I don't want you or anybody else to question my methods.
0: Right, then he didn't know about uh, Penny being found dead. I had nothing to do with that. You know, he probably he didn't know, probably had no idea about the actual death, but I'm sure he knew that Kovacs did this stuff. And, you know, again, this is where the stuff really gets rolling. They finally do a meet, plan the meet with Kovacs to, you know, get him the money. The resident tech guy—I uh, forgot—Lester. He was out doing something else, and then some other, uh, some other fill-in wires up tubs with a undercover wire. And this is where things kind of go south for, for tubs. They're in the, uh, they're in the limo there, and I guess some interference or something like that with the microphone, or the, starts picking up some radio station. They're, they're caught. They're, they're caught with their hands in their pants. I guess you could say. I don't know exactly furthering on in this scene i don't know who you are but you're dead i don't know who you guys are but you're dead kovacs what already killed seven people right
1: yep that according that, to loss and he did yes yeah
0: you know, who who cares if they're cops let's do more people that's that's obviously what Kovacs is thinking. So they head down to uh, head down to the marina. They do their bridge jump, and they head down to the marina. And pretty much in Kovacs' eyes, after Artie says, "I had no idea about this," I think he was letting uh, Artie. Kovacs was letting Artie take these guys out.
1: Yep, he told Kovacs told Artie to uh, be the one to kill to kill Crockett, and I think that's just trying to see where Artie Rounds' loyalty was to Kovacs, you know, because maybe Kovacs himself was starting to, uh, you know, get a little bit hinky about Artie. You know, then, you know, there was the gun battle went on. Eventually Artie turned on Kovacs, and he just unloaded an automatic weapon into the limo. You know, then as the scene was winding down, Artie was going to get taken into by the Bureau for debriefing, talked to him about Penny to see what he knew, And again, he says, I did not kill her. He did admit, though, that he was way over the other side. And he told Crockett and Tubbs, he said, I don't even know if I can return to my own wife. He returned to his actual life. In a sidebar conversation, Sonny did admit to uh, Ricardo that he did see a mirror of himself over the last several days of this operation. That's when Lou came into the scene and he told him that Artie... After he talked to his wife, he ended up hanging himself. What you see at the very end there was Crockett staring at Lawson's FBI ID card. Fellas, just got a phone call from Federal Agent Russo. They've been debriefing Arthur Lawson for the past three hours. He stepped out for a breather, made a call to his wife, went into the men's room and hung himself. It's the second major plot that we had in here was Zito and Switek being volunteered by Lou to uh, run basically a fencing operation, and we see how they're they're setting it up in there, and that's where the tech guy was in there with them. Right,
0: Let's, this this we meet Lester for a few episodes. He, the tech guy setting up the cameras and all this good stuff, and this this episode in, or this scene in the warehouse, I should say, is very reminiscent to a movie with uh, Dom DeLuise and Jerry Reed called Hot Stuff. Basically, the same plot. Same type of plotline: cops setting up a sting in a store and they put a camera behind a, you know, a TV screen. And then they're talking about putting up centerfolds on either side of the TVs. So this, uh, the criminals will look directly at the camera while they're looking at these centerfolds. Also talking about, actually Tubbs talks about you want the counter height to be higher so the guy can't reach up that high or that you kind of establish dominant uh, dominance over them. And the counter needs to be wider so the guy can't reach over and grab you. But this is, yeah, this is where we we meet Lester. And, again, this is the subplot where Zito and Switek, being the guys that are aloof, kind of the boobs of Miami Vice, this is kind of where they get their establishing roles going. So, Tubby, what do you think? Are you going to teach New York a thing or two or what? Uh, yeah, Zito. Uh, Yeah, like... uh like how to get blown away inside a week for starters. What are you talking about? This counter. You gotta raise it up maybe about 10 inches higher, 20 inches wider. So nobody won't reach across and wring your neck. Get out of here. Maybe put a platform back here so to raise you up and make you feel and look more intimidating, you know? And uh, if you tack a couple of hot centerfolds up here between the TV and the camera, you get your suspects to leer up so you won't be identifying people by hairstyle,
1: Right. And again, they're in the early going of this series. They were looked to be those bumbling, those boobs. But if, you know, as the time goes on, they develop in their own right uh, as the solid cops that they really are.
0: Okay. To sum up, Tim and I think this is a pretty good episode coming off of the first episode, the pilot episode. We see that Crockett and Tubbs are pretty good working partners, their first real case, so to speak. And then we also see Switek and Zito, although good detectives themselves, are still going to be the bumbling boobs of the OCB.
1: We want to try out something in the show that's a little bit non-sequitur-esque. In the world of Miami Vice and the world around us today, we see many hurdles and challenges. So Mark and I want to end with a simple quote, phrase, Words of encouragement to hopefully spread a family and friendly atmosphere here on our show and our social media and to most importantly, you, our listeners, because without you, our friends, we'd just be talking ourselves and we say friends because that's what we consider all of you listening. You are our friends, whether we have met or not, and whether we have interacted on social media or not. To that end, here are my simple words of inspiration for this episode. In this often chaotic world in which we live, try to do the best you can with what you have in each moment to make this world a better place to live, not only for yourself, but others in
0: kind. And with that, Tim, I guess we could bring this episode of Vice of Miami podcast to a close. What do you say?
1: Yep. I agree with you, Mark. This was an excellent episode, had a lot going on in it. And. Crockett and Tubbs didn't know which way they were going coming or going. Uh, exactly. you know, and both Mark and I would like appreciate each and every one of you listening, and especially Kenny from MASH four seventy seven podcast for helping us and guiding us in how to get this podcast started. Yeah, I, really en- I really and I really enjoyed the Zoom meeting that we had with him, where he was able to lay it out. He was very cordial and he gave us he pointed us in the right direction and as we go along, we'll be able to become more finely tuned engine.
0: And because he helped us out, we like to promote his podcast for him. You can check out his and Simon's podcast at Mash four hundred seven seventh podcast and all of your podcast platforms. We hope you enjoy what we have to offer. Please spread the word about us, and we will see you next time for Vice of Miami Show Number Four, where we discuss Miami Vice Episode Three, Cool Runnin'.
1: You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Vice of Miami Podcast or email us at viceofmiamishow at gmail.com.
0: Please rate us and comment on the episodes and spread the word about the show. On YouTube, press the like button and subscribe bell.